All right, book of Job, chapter 31 is where we pick it up tonight. So let's go before the Lord and, and we'll start there. Father, now as we turn to your word, we ask that you would move in our hearts and our midst, Lord. We thank you that you uh, have preserved it for us, Lord, that you love us. And uh, Lord, that you just want us to learn and grow in our knowledge and our love uh, for you. And I pray that you, that would happen tonight, Lord, um, moving by your spirit, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, you know, we're going through Job, and I, probably the introduction again, you know, he's just wondering why all this is going on. He can't understand why all this is happening to him. And we've left off in chapter 26 with the last of Job's three friends that are, are named up to this point, um, you know, in chapter 26, Bildad had a little short comment, um, and then Job has been talking about uh, really answering Bildad, but in chapters 30 and 31, um, you know, Job kind of switches gears a little bit and just shares with him the kind of life that he's lived, uh, you know, just responding to those things where uh, he was accused of by those three friends of not living that life, having, you know, all these sins and doing all these wrongs, uh, even though they were, I would imagine, very good friends, I just don't understand why, um, you know, that they lived and were around him enough to know that to, you know, have that double life it probably wouldn't have been missed by them. But they accuse him of that because that's where they're stuck, right? Uh, this is happening to you because uh, you're sinning or do something wrong. So everything bad or wrong is comes from as a result of God's judgment because of your sin. And they wouldn't move off that no matter what. And Job here is basically just saying, you know, I look at the life I've lived according to the way you think how God operates. Um, I don't deserve this to happen. And so verse 31 uh uh, verse 1, chapter 31, verse 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Some of the newer translations have, a, I like it a little better. I have not looked, uh, you know, made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman uh, uh, in lust. Uh, but again, here's Job. Is one of the things he's saying here is, uh, I've stayed away from lust. Um, I'm honoring the Lord with my eyes. He's even going to this extent now, talking about this, um, saying, you know, even when, you know, people don't always know where your eyes are going. In fact, most of the time, people don't know where your eyes are going, kind of like uh, the mirrored sunglasses kind of thing, right? Um, that you can't see your eyes, or if you have dark sunglasses, you can't see the eyes and, and, uh, and what a person's looking at. And Job's saying here, even if I had those on, or you weren't around, and you didn't notice where I was looking at stuff. I wasn't doing it. I, I made a conscious effort uh, to remain pure, and I was committed to that. I wouldn't allow my eyes to take me to places I shouldn't go. And uh, I th think that's a great thing for us to remember. I, I you know, I'd ask, uh, do we have such a commitment in our own lives? Um, you know, it's a very godly, uh, you know, the Bible talks uh, much about that. And so, I, again, I think it's great to see it here, living in the lives of the Old Testament godly people. Um, and it's one of those underlinable verses and, you know, a great verse to commit to memory as well. Job said, listen, I'm just I'm making a commitment before you, Lord, to remain pure and to honor you with my eyes. Verse 2 said, for what is the allotment of God from above, and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high. Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? You know, I know those who do wicked and who do wrong will find trouble with God. Yes, that's, that's very true. Verse 4 says, Does he not see my ways and count my steps? If I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know of um, know my integrity. And, you know, here's, here's this, you know, picture of a scale, if that really helps you. But what, you know, Job is saying here, I, I want to put, you know, the, the righteous life that I live uh, on one side 
um, you know, uh, or, or really, you know, all the wrong that I, I've done. Let's put it that way. It's probably easier because that's how he phrases it. And then put, you know, um, on the other side of the scale, right? Let it be weighed against what's right. You know, what I've done wrong or, or you know, and let it, let, it, let it see, you know, let it balance out here, if you would. I, I want to show, you know, you, Lord, and everybody that I do serve you. And I do do the right things. And this hasn't happened because of sin. And of course, that drove Job's friends nuts because he kept sticking to that. And they kept sticking to, because he knew it would be wrong or a lie to admit anything different. Even God called them righteous, not sinless, but righteous. He did what was right before him. And he said, I just want to weigh it all out. You know, here's my life and the good things. And, and, and this is what, you know, it's supposed to be. And this is what's right on the other side. You're going to show it's not like, you know, the scale is really lopsided. You know, here's what the right things to do is, and here's the right things you live in your life. They're just way off. He says, no, I would like that to be weighed out and seen. And then verse 7 says, in my, uh, if my steps have turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, well, then let my wife grind for another and let others blow down, uh, bow down over her. For that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. And so Job continues on here. says, I haven't ripped off anybody. You know, and, and if I've ripped off anybody, then I say, let my stuff be ripped off too. And if I have lusted or committed adultery, then, you know, let my wife be married to somebody else. You know, uh, if I've done that or cheated in that way, then, you know, take that away from me. No problem. And, you know, again, um, I haven't been doing that. Uh, you know, if I'm a deserving of judgment, then let it come. But I, I haven't. I've been living this righteous, godly life that, again, even that God acknowledged in chapters 1 and 2, as we've talked about. I, I, I want us to think for a second, because I think this is a very important thing to, for us to remember, as, as we've said before. Remember, Job was written uh, before... Uh, uh, was recorded, or um, the story of Job happens, you know, long before Moses, uh, you know, was dictated the Genesis account, and and you know, before he moved into the picture. Just just know that you know, most uh, scholars believe it was the most, as the earliest recorded piece of scripture, and you know, I, I say that again is because you look how. Job is living long before the law. He knew it was right, and he knew it was wrong, and he knew what honored God and what didn't honor God. He knew about God creating. We've talked about that. We knew about God uh, being involved in the human affairs, knowing when uh, a person's born, knowing about plants and animals and the atmosphere. And I mean, just intimately involved, and in not only in the creating of it, but intimately involved. In, in the day-to-day -day aspects, if you would, of that. And, and I say that is because, you know, Job knew this from his conscience and from what he observed and, you know, probably also from what he heard. Now, I make this point again is because, remember, you know, if you've been around any time, somebody will say, well, okay, you know, the gospel goes out and, you know, you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. Well, what about all those people that never heard about Jesus, you know? What about the guy way off in some island or some inland jungle tribe or something like, what about them? Well, you know, one of the things we can always point them to is the story of Job. You know, Job didn't have a Bible in front of him. Job didn't have, uh, you know, all these things before, you know, before him like that, like we have today. And yet he knew the character of God. He knew the power of God. He knew the love of God and knew it was right and knew it was wrong. And so, you know, next time somebody worries about some remote person on some remote pl place on the planet, you know, we can certainly point him to Job. Well, Job knew. And Job didn't have 
any of those things. And I think it's just a great thing for us to remember as well. And, and quite frankly, in today's day and age, I, I seriously doubt that there's very few unevangelized people. I, I would be surprised if, you know, there's more than a, you know, a bucket full. <laughs> That's about it. I, I, I think, you know, it, you know, it's, it's gone out. But even still, look at the heart and the love and the wisdom and the knowledge of Job, even before we had scripture, if you would. All right, back to the story here, verse 12. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase if I have despised the cause of my male or female servants when they complain against me. What then shall I do when God rises up? So if I continue to do wrong, if I'm doing this, you know, um, you know, I deserve to be judged. And when he punishes, how shall I answer him? So if I was doing that, how could I defend myself? And then he says in verse 15, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? If I have kept the poor from their desire, or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or eaten my morsel by myself, so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but from my, uh, from my youth I was reared as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. And if I have uh, seen anyone perish for a lack of clothing or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, and if I have raised my hand against the fatherless uh, when I saw uh, I had help at the gate, then let my arm fall from its shoulder and let my arm be torn from the socket. For destruction from God is a terror to me, and because of his magnificent, I cannot endure. So again, if I have done wrong, if I have abused, and if even if I didn't help out, you know, I saw someone in need and I just turned a blind eye to it. You know, uh, not even doing something wrong necessarily, uh, you know, we call those the sins of commission, but there's also sins of omission, things that you should have done that you didn't do. And Job is talking about both of them here. Uh, you know, then I, I deserve to be punished if that was true. And now, I, again, I really like, um, you know, verses 14 and 15, uh, because, again, you know, um, I'm sorry, uh, verses 15, uh, you know, again, uh, talking about here how God made people and uh, made me specifically, Job knew that God was involved uh, in his conception. And really, he goes on to say, uh, did not the same one fashion us in the womb? He did that with everybody. And again, we can see the intimacy and the knowledge of God. He doesn't just, you know, wind up the planet and then watch it go and he sits off a far distance and someday he might intervene. No, that, people think that today, but no, Job knew that. The other thing that makes this very interesting is that um, Job is basically saying, I'm like everybody else, right? You know, the Lord made me and knew me in the womb. And he did that for everybody. So basically, we all come from the same place. We're all equal. And it's an amazing statement in the sense that slavery, uh, the days of slavery, it was very acceptable. Uh, you know, it was acceptable um, to be a slave owner and to have slaves. And here he's saying, listen, you know, I realize and I understand that, but there is no, you know, I'm better than you kind of, because you have to kind of go there in your mind if you want to have slave or approve of slavery, right? You have to kind of go there thinking there's something less than me. And so therefore they can be my slave. They can be like property. And Job knew that was wrong way back then. And, uh, you know, again, it's just sad people don't get that today. They think they're superior because of the color of their skin or where they're from or something, some sort of uh, nonsense like that. You know, Job knew no way that's not true. 
you know, we're all in the same boat. And then he, you know, he goes on to show how he helped those who could not help him help themselves. You know, I was doing that. If I saw a need, I, I took care of that need. You, you know, no matter how it came. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, making himself rich. Verse twenty-four: If I've made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, and if I had observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in, it, in brightness, so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. Listen, if I had looked for my uh, wealth as, as a... You know, and he had great wealth, remember, as my confidence or a position. You know, uh, you know, I looked at it as, look what I did, look what I accomplished, and look how great I am, and, you know, uh, I can, you know, do this and have this and do this, all the kind of stuff, all that kind of pride that most very wealthy people have. And he said, you know what, if I did that, I could understand, you know, my judgment and you know, if I'd secretly been enticed and this money was so important to me and wealth and all that stuff, you know, uh, if I, you know, the idea of kissing uh, the hand, uh, acknowledging that, you know, like, I guess, you know, in some places you kiss the ring, you know, you know, that thing that people do, that means showing great, you know, respect or honor to those things. Then because I, I des- would deserve uh, punishment and judgment. Even back in that day where, again, these three friends are saying, hey, if you're rich, healthy, wealthy, healthy, and wise, then you must be doing what's righteous before God. And if it's just the opposite of that, you must be sinning. And so, according to the three friends' estimation of how God looks at things, if Job was wealthy and he made a big deal about it, then, you know, it just shows that he's righteous. And Job says, listen, that's a sin too. And of course, that's a big sin in our in our world today. Certainly, our our country, and uh, it's the least probably recognized sin. Uh, people don't acknowledge that one. We like to point out certain ones, but that certainly is a big one as well. And the New Testament has a lot to say about that. You know, thinking about yourself, always about me, what I have, what I what I have in the bank, what I you know what I'm going to do with it, this and that, and all about money. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be super wealthy. You can be anywhere on the scale. You can make money so important that it just comes before anything else. And, and Job knew that was to be wrong and to be sin. And then he goes on in verse 29, If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me, oops, um, or if I lifted myself up when evil found uh, him, Indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a soul to uh, uh, asking for a curse on his soul. And if men uh, of my tent have not said, "Who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat?" But no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. And again, Job makes this another powerful statement. He says. I have never been happy to see someone who hated me or I felt some malcontent towards and disliked and I see them uh, having trouble or going through difficulty. Uh, I have never looked on that and been happy or joyful about it. I was never happy to see anybody, no matter who they were at any time or what kind of life they lived, you know, having trouble. I'm never going to look, oh, good, they're getting what they deserve. And I think there's some real wisdom in that for us today. You know, that just shows our love and our mercy, and it shows, you know, the heart of Job as well. You know, because we can have that, oh, good, they're getting what they deserve. Well, Do we want to get what we deserve? No, because most of us know how lousy, rotten sinners we are and how desperately we don't want to get what we deserve. And that's why, of course, 
we acknowledge the fact that Jesus died for our sins and paid the price for us because uh, we couldn't do it on our own. It's impossible. So we don't want to get what we deserve. Now, sometimes we use that in the positive sense. Well, I deserve that because I did this and had that or whatever. You know, there's just not a place for that in our Christian walk. There really isn't. And there's not a place to ever look, oh, good, they're getting, you know, they're getting that. Whether it's, you know, some political person, um, you know, somebody in in office, you know, which is about (laughs) 90% of everybody in some political office in California. I'm just kind of being funny there. But, you know, and and you see something fall apart there. You know, it just never brought me joy or happiness to see that. And, and again, never said that good, that's what they deserve. We don't want that in our lives, nor should we want that for anybody, uh, no matter who they are. And then Job finally said, I took care of those who were traveling through. I just didn't let them stay on the street. You know, if they were traveling, again, no Holiday Inn Expresses back in that day. No, I'll let them stay here. I had plenty of room and I let them stay there. No problem. And finally, he says, verse 31 If I have covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, because I have feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of families so that I kept silent and did not go out the door. So here again, Job was very familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. I think that's great, you know, and he took that to heart. And he knew that they sinned and they tried to hide the sin. Remember, uh, Eve was deceived by the, the you know, uh, what became the serpent on the ground, right? Eventually being on the ground, I should say, the serpent. And then, you know, she took the bite of the fruit and she gave it to Adam. And Adam, you know, wasn't deceived. He knew what he was doing right there. And then when they're, both their eyes were open, you know, they hid. They tried to cover their sin, you know, with fig leaves. And you remember the story. Job said, when I sinned, I, I, I didn't, I confessed it. I, I didn't try to hide it. You, you know, I, I was up front and went before the Lord and kept, you know, this short list of, of sins against God that I haven't, you know, acknowledged and, you know, asked God for forgiveness in. And that's what we're called to do today. As a matter of fact, 1 John 1.9 tells us that. Most of us know that pretty well. You know, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, you know, that's what Job did. That's important for us to do today. I'm not hiding it like Adam did. And let's finish up this portion with Job. Verse 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder, and I would bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together, if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owner to lose their lives, then let the thistle grow instead of wheat, and weeds instead of barley. And then it says, the words of Job are ended. And then so Job ends up this section here, said, you know what? I wish the Lord would just look at me and see all that's happening and examine how I lived, and then things would change. And they will, and he does, and he is watching, but it just wasn't happening in the time that Job wanted, and it cost so much frustration because it ran against you know what he believed god should be doing uh right you get blessed everything goes well you do wrong you sin everything should fall apart and you know that was their doctrine that's what job was faced with in his own life to a certain degree as well and why he questioned the lord not doing anything well, it says the words of Job are ended here, and really they are. There's no more long-winded speeches or replies or going back and forth anymore. He will speak, um, you know, uh, a little bit at the end of the book, as we'll see. But he, you know, this is pretty much the end of any of his speeches. And now we come to this section from 
chapter 32 to, you know, chapter 38, um, where this one guy, Elihu, comes on the scene, and he gives this long-winded speech. Um, We don't know where he came from. It seems that he was there the whole time because it will say that he was there hearing everybody talk. Uh, You know, he waited till he was, um, uh, till they finished speaking, and then he would start speaking here, and, you know, he's really going to, He's going to say, I'm going to clear up the matter and I'm going to tell you what's going on and I'm going to get this all right. And, you know, he seems to go on and on, but never really get into his point. You know, he just talks about how great his points are going to be when he eventually gets to him. But God interrupts him, you know, in chapter 38 and so um, and just basically cuts him off. And so we'll try to get as much of that uh, tonight and, and look as much of that we can tonight here. And so... Um, verse 1 of chapter 32 said, So these three men ceased from answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Bacarel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouths of these three men, his wrath was aroused. And so again, you know, Elihu, Elihu's going to find, you know, spend his time trying to defend God. And uh, interesting enough, God doesn't reprove him at the end, and we'll talk about that as we, we get there, maybe why that might have happened. But he's really going to kind of go in a little different direction here. Job, you may not have sinned, but God is correcting you. You know, and the way these guys say it, you know, you've definitely sinned, but maybe not in the same way these guys are accusing you. And Elihu was mad, not only at Job, but Job's friends, the three guys that have spoken, because you guys, you know, are supposed to be wise and putting it together and saying all this, and you, you can't even make a good case here. You, you can't even, you know, prove it pretty clearly here. So I got to step in and do this. He feels like he needs to have his, his voice needs to be heard. And remember, he's the young guy, and he's going to speak like a young man, you know, would. He's going to speak, you know, uh, rashly. And he's going to have a know-it-all attitude. You might remember that when we were a little younger. We thought we knew it all. And he's definitely going to reflect all that in what he says. And so let's hear what he has to say in verse 6. So Elihu, the son of Rachel the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore I was afraid. I dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak and the multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor the aged always understand justice. (laughs) He's bashing them all right there, right? Other people are, you know, older people are supposed to be wise, but in this case, not you guys. You guys did a bad job. Uh, you know, uh, and again, you know, you guys are supposed to be wise because you've been around, you've been exposed to all this stuff, and that's nothing new here, too, you know. Um, those that are wise in the world, you know, as we'll see in Psalms and other places, certainly, uh, you know, are fools because they're wise in their own eyes. They think they got it all together, uh, you know, because they've been around, uh, you know, and we have all these, uh, you know, letters after our name. We've got this award. We got this education. We've done this. We've accomplished this. And you know, all of a sudden, they think you know everybody should just, you know, hush at the sound of their voice because great wisdom is going to come out. And uh, you know, let's let's remember that a, you know the youngest Christian, in a lot of sense, is wiser then, you know, the men of great understanding and learning and PhDs and all this. You know, it doesn't matter if you graduated sixth grade or not, but with the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord, certainly we possess far more wisdom than those that have wisdom in the world. Now, they might know more facts about you about certain things, but that doesn't make them wise, as you well know. 
Well, after that insult to all of them here, verse 10 says, Therefore I say, listen to me, I will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words, I listened to your reasons, while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced uh, Job or answered his words. Lest you say, we have found wisdom, and God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. They are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I will also... Uh, I, sorry, also, I also will answer my part, and I too will declare my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that is, has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips to answer. <laughs> Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me, uh, nor let me flattery flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. <laughs> well, you can see this guy is certainly full of himself and thinking he's the slickest thing around. And I've waited to hear something smart from you guys. I didn't hear anything smart from anybody. So you know what, uh, you know, you guys should have done this, but not. And now I've been waiting, I've been listening, and you know, and again, I can't hold it in anymore. I have to speak, I have to get it out. You know, I, I'm going to call it as I see it. I'm not going to allow anyone to influence what I say. I'm not going to flatter anybody. And, and again, uh, I'm going to, I just got to speak it out. I'm going to burst if I don't. You know, I, again, we need to be wise in that. And when you feel like that sometimes, it's just great to sit back and pray, Lord, do they really need me to burst forth with my wisdom? You know, I find probably more times than not, you know, our wisdom or our, our you know, speaking on the matter, even if we're right uh, or we think we're right, you know, you know, do we need to add to it? And... I think that's always great in the matter of prayer. We should really do that. You know, that we don't always need to burst in and share our opinion, even though we feel like it at times. You know, there's wisdom in praying and asking the Lord, is this where you really want me to be in? This guy certainly didn't do that. He, you know, as they're speaking on and Job is, he's probably waiting for Job to take a breath, and that's when he kind of jumped in here. And, um, you know, I like he said, I'm not going to flatter anybody, neither should we, you know, no matter who it is. We don't talk nice to them and say things just to make them feel good just because of there's somebody important or we think there's somebody important that way, you know. He said, I'm going to be honest, but in reality, let, let's see what he does here. Okay, now he's going to probably start getting into some of his accusations here, or at least he'll dance around them. Verse 1 of chapter 33 says, but please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth, my words come from an upright heart, my lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. <laughs> and, and again, maybe Job tries to speak here and Elihu doesn't allow him. Maybe that's why he says, you know what, Job, Wait, hear what I have to say, you know, listen to my words. And, you know, again, interestingly enough, just not addressing what he's saying to Job, but, you know, again, long before the law, long before the New Testament, and with the Holy Spirit in our hearts, he knew and they knew that God made them, God gave them life, that he controls our lives, our heartbeats, our breath, all those things, you know, were very clear to them. And again, this should always be firm in our understanding. You know, uh, remember, it, these guys in this day came from conscious. God gave us a conscious, right? And we know what's right and what's wrong by that conscious in, in, in some sense, by observation, and of course, what they had heard. 
Even though they didn't have everything that we have, you know, they knew that. But again, you can just see his pride welling up here, right? Look at me, I got all this, I know this, I'm doing what's right. Basically, I'm speaking for God here. <laughs> well, let's see what he let's see the words he said that. Verse 5 said, If you can answer me, set your words in order before me, take your stand. Truly I am as your spokesman before God. Just like we just said. I also have been uh, formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks, and he watches all my paths. Now, Elihu is going to address some of the things that Job said. And again, you know, Job wanted somebody to speak, you know, uh, to God for him, right? To put, put uh, somebody to bridge the gap there. Now, Elihu is kind of answering that. He says, well, you can do it with me. You don't have to be afraid, Job. You know, because Job said he was afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You know, if you speak to me, it's going to be like speaking to God. Now, again, remember, Job has never said he's without sin, but he just kept saying he didn't do anything that all those guys were accusing him of and didn't do things uh, wrong or sinful that would have led to this kind of horrific, you know, uh, things happening. as ten children dying, losing everything he owned, his wife basically dropping out of the picture and, you know... Uh, him being head to toe in misery in, in so many ways. He, he just said that. I, I'm, I'm not, that didn't, wasn't caused by me. And, and again, Job said, you know, if he would be lying, um, you know, he would be lying if he agreed to some horrible charges and some sin. Again, Job didn't understand and he felt that God was against him because the situation didn't turn. And so there is some accuracy in what he's saying here, not uh, you know, some words have twisted, and he'll twist some more here. But again, one of Job's frustration is this, right? I'm praying, I'm talking, I know I'm doing what's right, I'm, I'm living the right way, I'm doing this, my heart is for you, Lord, and things are going all wrong. Things are just going south, and they're just nothing but getting worse instead of getting better. And, you know, Job had this sense that he thought God was against him because he wasn't doing anything about it in the time that he wanted done because the situation didn't turn. And we can feel that way, and probably most of us have felt that way a number of times in the past. And that's why the lessons in this book are so important. You know, and a lot of times we confused God's reply of wait as him not hearing or him not caring or he's not involved. And we don't like the wait answer or the no answer. And so we kind of, in our own mind, think that he, he, he's not hearing. He's not paying attention. He's not involved in the things. And I need to clarify the situation with him. I just need to tell him what's going on. And then he'll understand, oh, okay, and then he'll act. And that was kind of Job's heart. But yet, that can be ours as well. And that's what Elihu is saying about Job here. And then he goes on in verse 12, Look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. For God may speak in one way or in another, and yet man does not perceive it. Verse 15 says, In a dream, in a vision from the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. In order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man, he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with, the pain, with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones stick out, which were not 
uh, scene. Yes, his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioner. So Elihu is right here at first, right? Who is man to question God? He doesn't have to explain himself to anybody, right? Uh, you know, it's put this way that it's probably familiar to most of us. You know, who can, I mean, what can the, the clay say to the potter, right? Jeremiah 18 and Romans chapter 9. You know, uh, you know, we talk about the clay. Who's the clay to say, no, you know, do this, you know, as you're forming me, do this and doing this. You know, the, the potter does what he wants with the clay and makes what he wants and does it. In that sense, that's what Elihu is saying here in the beginning. Uh, you know, we have no right to say that. But again, you know, Elihu's taken a different path with Job, saying that, you know, maybe it wasn't some great sin that happened. You know, maybe this is that corrective action from God. God is speaking to you, Job, and he does it in so many different ways. And he has been. Uh, and that's true. He does that to us today. I'll put up Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, a verse that's pretty familiar with us. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So again, here, you know, God's promise of obviously in, in the latter days here where we're in, he's going to pour out his spirit. Uh, you know, on, on everybody. The young, he's going to give vision. The older people kind of dreams, but he's going to be speaking to them in those terms. He's going to pour that out and do that. You know, um, again, he sets up so much for us to know uh, him and to lead us. Did you, did you notice that in there? He does it in so many ways. He's preparing us, right? When we're slumber and a vision at night, you know, uh, he is taking care of us. He, he's setting it up so he can lead us, right? Preparing us. And, and then, you know, as things go forth, we can't take any pride in it because he's the one that, you know, set it all up and did it and encouraged us to go that way. So we can't get and take any of the credit, right? As it says here, there really isn't any pride there. And some things he allows happen so that we won't get hurt. I can't think of how many times maybe we had a flat tire or we're frustrated because we're late and people are driving so crazily slow or something, uh, you know, or, or, you know, this happened and we, we wanted to go here or do that or get that or have this happen. And, you know, all these things came crushing in and we couldn't do it work, you know, thought we could slip away and do this or get this and, 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 you know, we can get so frustrated at those things. But how much of the time is the Lord sparing us? You know, allowing that flat tire, because if you moved at the speed you're doing and what you're going to do, you know, this was, this was going to happen to you. It wasn't going to go good. And if, you know, you were going to get involved in all this and do that and everything, and, and if, you know, if I didn't put some obstacles in the way, you would have got involved in all that, and it would have just brought more hurt on you. So I'm putting these obstacles in the way, and that, that's what he's saying here, and that's very true. You know, he doesn't want us to fall off the deep end or turn away from him. And, and that is certainly true, what Eliaph has is saying. You know, at verse 22, his sod grows near the pit, and as, you know, we, if you're heading that bad direction, the Lord wants to turn around and he use, uh, you know, any means at his disposal to do that. You know, whether it's sorrow or pain or you know, speaking to us at night or any number of things, which is true. The Lord does that to us because he loves us. Verse 23 says, If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one in a, among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's, and he shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He, will, uh, he shall shine his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. And, and again, here, you know, uh, you know uh, God wants to save us. God speaks to us. He really wants to get our attention, you know, at, at different times in different ways. You know, when we're 
wasting away or in agony or frustration because of things like this. And again, I, you know, I think Elihu has been referring to, you know, Job's physical condition. You know, you can see his bones sticking out and all these kind of things here. You know, he's really trying to, to speak to you here, Job. Uh, you know, he wants to do what's right. And again, if you do what's right, then everything is going to go well. You're going to delight in the Lord. He's going to restore everything. Everything's going to go good, which is what the friends were saying. But again, it was completely wrong in Job's case. Now, there's a lot of truth in that. Again, we know Galatians talk about reaping and sowing. But, you know, again, God, that's not an absolute law, right? God decides when that comes and how much and this you know, and what measure or not. And a lot of times, I believe for us, you know, he doesn't allow it to come full force when we blow it or make a mistake or head down the wrong direction. You know, he, he softens that. I, I believe he gives us a lot of grace that way. But, and again, these guys were stuck in that. You know, this is an absolute, as absolute as gravity. You know, I take my pen, I drop it, it's going to hit the floor because gravity is always there. That's what they're saying about it's judgment's going to come because of sin. Well, let's finish up this chapter, verse 27. Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what is right, and I did not, it did not profit me. Then, I'm sorry, he will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Give ear, Job, and listen to me. Hold your peace, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. <laughs> Seems like Job kind of wants to interrupt a little bit here or say something, and the guy's kind of steamrolling over him a little bit here. But he's saying to Job, if you just allow God's correction to direct you back, you will see everything go wonderful again. And that's true. God does want to always bring us back. He's the God of second chances. He loves us. He's drawing us back. He'll forgive us multiple times, even as Jesus said, you know, how often should I forgive? Oh, you know, 70 times 7, right? Just a huge number of times. And again, He's saying the Lord allows sickness and other situations to come over a person's life over and over in order to, sa to save him from destruction. And again, um, Elihu, for him, the suffering was related to sin. It was more uh, protective than, than, than punishment, than punitive, right? Uh, that's what he's saying here, different than the other guys were saying. And that's what he's telling Job. Well, we'll continue in, in verse 34, and uh, it, it says this, Elihu went further and answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, give ear to me, you who have knowledge, for the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water, who goes in the company with workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Now, Elihu is going way off the track here. You know, he was quoting Job, you know, I, I do what's right, you know, but God is not, you know, treating me like I am doing right. That's what Job's concern was. And he said, I'm not going to say that I'm doing wrong because that would be lying, right? And Job did say that, you know, and, but I can't figure this all out and nothing is working out. And Job had that attitude. But Job was not saying that he was sinless. And he's not saying that there wasn't any justice. You know, Elihu goes, Elihu goes on to say that Job is wicked because he said that walking righteous before God isn't profitable. No, Job never said that. Elihu's twisting his words. 
And again, imagine saying this, the guy that lost all his children, you know, his whole family, including his wife to a certain degree, lost everything he owned, doesn't have a penny to his name, and is miserably suffering with a horrible disease, we would say, in our day and age. And then he's going to say that to him. You know, again, uh, twisting his words. It's just not true. You know, Job is saying, what can be gained from walking and doing what's right before God? That was Job's life, right? And again, you know, just think about that. That's not, that's not an, a, a new question, right? If we were to go out and stand in front of Starbucks or Target or something like that and, and ask people, you know, does it pay to do the right thing? And most people say, well, maybe sometimes, probably not all the time. You know, there's probably sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, and this and that. But that wasn't Job's heart. No, it always pays to do what's right in every situation and all the time. And, and that was his position, not what Elihu is saying here. And that's true. It always pays to do what's right. It never pays to do what's wrong. It may seem like it for a short period of time, but in the end, it doesn't pay off. And then when we gain that wisdom, then we ignore the short-term benefits of doing something wrong. And we say, no, I've done that too many times. I'm not going to do it again. A great lesson for us to learn, right? Well, verse 10 says, Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth or who appointed him over the whole world? And if he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? Is it fitting to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor. For they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night, the people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken without a hand. And basically, Elias thought, listen, everybody, God never does anything wrong. He's never wrong, and he's always just. And of course, that's perfectly true, right? That is always true. But he is so much more than that, isn't he? He shows grace and mercy, too. Can't forget that how important it is, because we stand on all that, right? And again, he understood if God pulls his spirit out of this world, everything would just die and turn to dust. Absolutely. And, you know, you wouldn't call a king or a prince wicked, right? Uh, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, you, off with your head. You know, you can end up in prison. You could get beat up. You could have things taken away from you. You wouldn't say that to them. How much more saying that to God. And yet, Hollywood, take note, right? You know, they use God's name in vain. They say the name Jesus. They, you know, want God to damn everything. And his name is used throughout in every media. It's not even considered a curse word or a bad word anymore, you know, and for quite a while. But, you know, you wouldn't talk wicked or evil towards somebody like that. And, you know, it would just be not only disrespectful, but, you know, back in that day, certainly you could be taking your life in your hands. And now everybody thinks that, you know, it's just casual. Who cares? You can do whatever. And, you know, they never curse the name Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or anybody else. But yet, you know, they do it all the time for our Savior and our, and our Heavenly Father. And so important, important that we don't cheapen that name by, oh my God, oh my God, you know, and just using his name as if it had zero value. That's what the world does, not what we're called to do. And then Elihu also makes this comment. He said, it doesn't matter if you're rich, famous, or powerful, or poor, we're all going to die. 
And you, we can't control it all. It's in God's hand. And of course, you know, the important thing of, is that is true about that is it, it moves us out of worry. You know, God's in control of everything. I don't have to worry about that. He's got a plan. It's set. He's going to see it come to pass in the right time. And he certainly will. Well, let's finish up here. For his eyes are, are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he, uh, for he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces the mighty men without, uh, without iniquity and sets others in their place. Therefore he knows their work. He overthrows them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others because they had turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways, so that they uh, caused the cry of the poor to come to him, for he hears the cry of the afflicted. And Elihu goes on to say, God sees all. Nobody gets away with anything. Nothing is secret, and certainly that is true. And he lifts up and helps out. And uh, who is more powerful on earth, right? And, and those that are powerful and think themselves of something, they're, they're going to be gone in an instant. You know, they're here and then they're gone. Uh, you know, I, I made some comment the other day about saying, oh man, they're as rich as the Rockefellers. And that person kind of just looked at me and, who? <laughs> what, who, who are they? And, you know, that's what it is with this next generation, right? And the generation after that, they're, who are those guys? And yet... You know, some most powerful people in the world in their day and age. And now it's like, who are they? I think I heard about them maybe, right? They're gone. And, and, you know, he sees and knows you. Remember this. He pays as much attention to you as he does to the Pope. Right? And But he also pays as much attempt in, attention to... That naked guy dancing around a, a fire in Borneo somewhere, right? As much as he pays attention to you. So remember that. God is seeing all and involved in all. And let's finish the chapter and we'll, we'll close it here tonight. Verse 29. When he gives quietness, who can make trouble? And when he hides his face, then who can see him? whether it is against a nation or a man alone, that the hypocrite should not reign lest the people be ensnared. For has God said to, uh, has, I'm sorry, has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Should he repay it according to your terms just because you disavow it? You must choose and not I, therefore speak what you know. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost, because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hand among us, and multiplies his words against God. And man, Elihu is laying it on hard and thick and completely wrong. And again, um, I like this in verse 31 and 32. You know, again, basically, we should have this attitude, Elihu said, and I think this is right. Lord, if I'm doing something wrong, or if I'm sinning, show me that I might learn. You know, that's basically what he's saying here in verses 31 and 32, which is a great thing for us to remember as well. Lord, if I'm wrong, if I'm sinning, you know, then, then show that, reveal it to me. Make sure I know that, that I can learn from this and not continue to do it or head down that path again or do this. And that's true. But Eliab, for the rest, he's laying it on Job here. Because he isn't willing, according to what Elihu has to say, to receive God's correction. 
I'm laying it on so hard on you, Job, because you are refusing to submit to God's correction. You're sticking to your position and you don't want to listen to anyone and you're fighting everyone. Therefore, we have to, you know, come back and we have to, you know, really hammer on you because that's what you're doing. And of course, that's completely wrong. And, and you know, you think if you bang your head against the wall so many times, eventually you're going to stop because you don't want to hurt anymore. But these guys don't seem to let up. They're digging their, their heels in the sand. They're holding tight. They're not going to change their opinion or their way until God breaks through and clears it all up. And sadly, you know, he's going to come, or not sadly, but he is going to come down on them because, well, in fact, they deserved it. They weren't following their own advice about allowing God to speak and allowing God to change your heart and allowing God to correct you. <laughs> they weren't doing that. They're telling Job, you should do that, but they weren't doing that themselves. They weren't allowing God in the door. It's not a good place for us to be either. We always want to let him in the door. We always want to hear what he, what he wants to say to us. And we always want to receive all that he wants to say and do and, and work through our hearts and our lives because in the end, we know it's always the best for us. Amen? Well, let's pray and leave it off here. Father, we just again thank you for this time in your word, Lord. And we ask that you would just bless it, Lord. That you would just, um, again, draw it to our hearts that we might learn all, all that you want to speak to us, Father, and learn the lessons, the good and the bad, Lord, because, you know, you've preserved them for us. And we want to understand and we want to know and we want to draw closer to you, Father. And I pray that we would continue to do that, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you.